quickly laying out um, a roadmap that we foresee, the leadership foresees as um, the building process, the roadmap to the building over there that we're looking to build on, Lord willing. And so we'll be showing that. And then right after the service, we want to try to keep this compressed. We're just going to have a quick five-minute break for those of you who can't stick around for the question-answer time. Um, you can leave, but we really want to encourage anybody that calls this church their home, whether you're a voting member or not, and we've had a lot of people that are like, am I a voting member? We'll clarify what that means um, at at the end of the service, but we just want to invite, one, the air conditioner will be on, we'll just do it right here in this room, and it'll also be really, um, uh, just kind of a, it's it's kind of a milestone in in the the many-year history of our church, so we'll kind of be going through that, so just want to invite you if if um, you call this your church home to stick around, or if it's your first Sunday and you're already planning on sticking around, you can stay for that as well. So anyway, that all being said, and then lastly, before I jump into the sermon, I, I personally want to say thank you to all of you um, who, who helped support me as my family was in Mexico. I, I gained quite a bit of weight the week that um, my wife was gone because um, I didn't have some of the boundaries to eat because you all fed me so well. And there was many more people that offered to feed me and didn't. So me and Lauren really appreciate that so uh, very much. And, uh, and then obviously as well for Rob. I don't know where Rob's at. Rob for standing in the pulpit and preaching for me. That was great. So let's pray and then we'll jump right into our, our text. Lord, I just thank you again for today and for the time and the opportunity we have to, to hear from you about Um, a topic that should be and is hopefully near and dear to every single one of us. And uh, may you increase our vision of our eternal resting place today. And as we we look upon heaven, may you uh, increase our our hope and our joy and our peace and our contentment in this present life that oftentimes is, uh, as as Paul mentions, um, like groaning and like birth pangs, uh, difficult, we would pray that you would you would encourage us, challenge us, and um, help us to see a greater picture of you and your eternal kingdom. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. It's a little bit weird to stand up here and not say, okay, turn to Mark, because we've been in Mark for a year and a half, and this is the first week out of our series in Mark, and this a- a- approach to preaching is a little different than what I'm most comfortable with, which I'm most comfortable going through texts having a solid one passage and breaking that down and teaching that passage, we're going to do what is more of a, um, what would be called an expositive topical approach. We're taking a a topic and then we're looking at key scriptures that deal with the topic. And we're going to do this throughout the summer on the topic of heaven, heaven. And, and so I'm excited about that. Now, as we, we launch in, my wife already mentioned, um, she and the big kids and the rest of the missions team, they got home uh, a week ago today. And in that process, what I learned, actually, I've known this before that, but my wife really, she has superpowers. And most wives, most moms, frankly, most women's do. We went and saw that movie, The Incredibles, and I could tell you that The Incredibles the Incredibles 2, they got their script from watching my wife, what she does, you know, between taking care of us at home, homeschooling, she works at the hospital, she's my wife, which is um, the job that she adores the most out of all of those things. Uh, she, she, she does so many things around here. She loves young moms. I'm probably missing lots of different things, but she's got these, these superpowers. And when she went to leave for Mexico, 
she left me a list of things that kind of I need to make sure that I know about. Even a calendar on where Lauren goes on what days and all of these different things. And it was a little bit overwhelming looking at this list. I mean, I know she does a lot, but it was overwhelming looking at this list. And then after we kind of talked a little bit before she left, she says, you just have really, the, the most important thing out of all of this is that you don't lose Lauren. <laughs> you don't lose her. So uh, those of you who don't know Lauren, this is Lauren. That's my eight-year-old who's a noodle and um, a Tasmanian devil and hard to keep track of. But I can say with all confidence that that did not happen. I, I, I scored an A on that part of the test. Now, the other stuff that was on that list, I may not have done so well on. And I don't need to go through all of the lists and, and throw myself under the bus. But right under taking care of Lauren was the item of make sure to water the garden. And so um, I didn't do so well with that aspect of the list. Um, so the, the, garden, the garden suffered a little bit. Um, as you know, we didn't have much rain over the past two weeks, three weeks, and we had some pretty scorching temperatures. But what was interesting about, about this and her garden is that her garden has really great soil in it. It has an awesome sturdy fence that keeps the goats and the chickens and the deer and the rabbits out of it. It had really, really great starts to get it going. And yet, with all of those things in its favor, if it doesn't have water, it ends up looking like this or maybe even worse than this. And so today as we kind of introduce this, this series on heaven, we, we find that in, in, in the scriptures heaven is a predominant theme. And because it's a predominant theme, it's worth us taking time to, to, to look at. And so when in our faith, when, when we when we leave certain key pieces of doctrine out of our faith, we might have other good beliefs about certain areas of, of Scripture and certain areas of, of church life, but if we leave certain things out, it kind of becomes like my wife's garden. It becomes parched and in need of sustenance, in need of, of water. And, and so we're talking about heaven because Oftentimes, heaven is a topic that's not talked about a whole lot or thought a lot about. There's this old saying that I believe, uh, whether Satan came up with it or he just uses it a lot, the old saying is, those Christians, they are too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. And now that may be true in, in some cases, I can't think of many cases, but the opposite is certainly true in the sense that there are so many Christians that are so earthly-minded that... Not only is there no, they're not heavenly, there's no heavenly good, but there's also no earthly good. That we're so earthly minded that we're of no, no benefit here on earth and no benefit for the kingdom of God. And so my hope, big hope, I guess, as we spend the summer studying this topic of heaven is that we become so like heavenly focused that the, the pleasures of this world, the pleasures of this life would grow strangely dim in our hearts. That the things of the world that we tend to look to and then our culture tends to look to for some level of satisfaction and pleasure and comfort, the next thing, the next advancement, the next check, the next prescription, whatever the case be, that those things would grow strangely dim in our light because our picture of our eternal home would grow so much bigger. And so when... When we go into any series, and we don't remember this because it's been a year and a half in Mark, but when we start out a new series, 
I just like to ask the question, why? Why would we, why would we go through this series? We talked about why we went through the Gospel of Mark and before we went through Philippians and we went through the Psalms. We always talked about why. And, and so today, just really kind of as a matter of introduction, I want to talk about why would we spend the summer talking about heaven and what are some of those, what are some of those big reasons why? And so that brings us to your notes. If you have notes and you're taking notes, we're going to move through these quickly, so, so, so be ready. But the first one here is one reason why we'd do a sermon series on heaven is that we just simply don't think about it or think about it often enough. It just doesn't happen that often. We might think about it predominantly when we're in the midst of tragedy, uh, when we're at a memorial service or when we're having a really hard time and we're just trying to escape the, the mess of our life. But what about in just regular life, sitting down, thinking, and observing what it's going to be like in the future? And so I kind of have four just observations as why why people don't think about heaven very often. And here, here they are. The first one is, frankly, because we oftentimes are just too earthly-minded. We're so focused here and now. Uh, now, Many, if not most, Christians, heaven is overshadowed by the earth that, that we, we live in. It's, it's bigger, it's, it's brighter, it's right in front of us. It tends to be more attractive and more intoxicating, the things in it. Uh, it's more of a magnetic draw. The thought of heaven doesn't oftentimes draw, or, draw us or woo us and win us as it used to with Christians that have come generations before us. The majority of the songs that we sing don't have a, you know, that's an interesting thing about almost every old hymn. What's beautiful about old hymns, they almost always, they'll have four or five verses. Almost in every case, there's at least one verse, and it's normally toward the end of the song, that, that points the, the, the people of God to something to come in the future, and specifically heaven. But I don't know if you've ever tried this before, but if you were to take a penny and you were to put it in front of your eye and you were to look up at the sun, I don't know if you've tried that or not, but the, the, the fireball in the sky is completely blotted out. And, and what happens is that even believers, if we hold the world so close to us that the, the future eternity of heaven is blotted out in our eyes as well, and we, ha- we, we lose the vision and we lose the ability to see heaven. So that's just one. We just tend to be, as people, just very earthly-minded. Now, the second observation here is why we don't think about heaven is that we're preoccupied with the process of, of, of getting there. And what I mean specifically by this is some folks, not all folks, but some folks, and you know them, they get overly focused on the process of getting there. And specifically, we studied, we spent four weeks on it in Mark, the, the, the term eschatology. They, they're so focused on, on what it's going to take to get, you know, what it takes to get there. Are they going to get there pre-mid, post-mid, mid-mid, pre-trib, you know, that whole pre-millennial, post-millennial, mid-millennial, all of those things. They get caught up in all of the, these controversial topics, so focused on the process of getting there that they almost don't even focus on where that ends up. And, and so part of that, and it's interesting, I went to both Bible college and seminary, and in both cases... I have systematic theology books. We study the nature of God. We study the nature of Christ. We study the, the nature of the church. We study all of the, the theologies as it relates to systematic theology. And in every case, there's about a page and a half at the end of our 
textbooks that deal specifically with heaven. So rarely do we get that picture of heaven because we get preoccupied with the other parts of the the process. And so on the back of your notes page, if you have them, you'll see there's just four resources there, four resources that I will point to a few different times. There's going to be more that would would pop up as we go along. Those are some recommended readings. You pick one and, and you read through it, but the primary focus of each of those is the topic of, of heaven. And I appreciate many of you have sent me things that you've read that pertain to this topic, and I'm working through as many of those as I can. And when I get through some of those, and if they fit the list, I'll, I'll put them there and recommend those as well. So the, the third quick observation that we have here, why don't we think about heaven, is we don't want to think about our own death. And this is kind of a natural one for all of us. We just, we don't like to think about that day in which this life will, will come to an end. It's funny, we ask unbelievers the question, where are you going to go when you die? But oftentimes we don't want to think about that ourselves. And so, so we, we don't like to think about that, so, so we don't. And then the last one, and this is kind of the hard one, is that some of us simply are not going there. Some of us are simply not going there. Now, I would hope that every one of us in here is going there. But I also look at the words of Christ when Christ says that we are to enter through the narrow gate. I also know when Christ says that many people on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, and yet they will not be welcome into his kingdom. And why is that? It's because of what we see in, in 1 John chapter 2 right here, and it's this. G, or, um, John says, love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then and he goes on to describe what that is. So if we love the world more than we love God, more than we love Christ, more than we love being with them forever, then the love of the Father is not within us. And so we don't like to think about heaven because maybe we're just not going there. Maybe the idea of being with Christ forever is not that appealing to us. So those are just four quick observations to kind of look at why it is that we don't think about heaven very often. The the second, back to the main point, why? Why do a sermon series on heaven? Secondly is we want to clearly define what heaven is and we want to debunk misconceptions. Now the majority of the rest of the series is going to be doing just these things because it's important. Most of us carry around some distorted views and false thinkings about what heaven is and what heaven isn't. And we tend to believe we really can't know all that much about it. As a matter of fact, one of my dear friends, I was sharing that we were going to be doing this series. And, and he said, why in the world would you do that? Heaven should be all about wonder. You should, it should be all about your imagination. And it's true that heaven does, and the topic of heaven does bring about this deep sense of imagination within us but it doesn't stop there there are some very clear descriptions of heaven as a matter of fact 582 passages and verses within the scriptures that specifically deal with heaven and so within that we get a pretty good picture and frankly the picture that we get is so far different than the picture that we get from Hollywood with these infused visions and images of us floating in the clouds carrying harps and shooting little arrows into people's yes so so let's just kind of move quickly i want to talk about a few misconceptions that we're going to i'm just going to brush over this this is an overview a few misconceptions that come up as it relates to to um heaven and and people's perceptions of heaven is when oftentimes people think of heaven they just think of just heaven heaven is just this place that's out there. But scripture actually teaches that there are two heavens. Or you even could, 
and we'll talk about this later, but you can even say three heavens if you include heavens as the atmosphere, but specifically as it relates to the place a person goes later in life, there are two specific teachings on, uh, or two, two heavens. Now, the first heaven is the, I'll just call it like the lowercase heaven. This is the, the heaven that is a, the place people and believers go once they die. So you have a loved one that has passed on, that knows Christ. They are in what we'll call the, the present heaven. Or another term that's used in some of the books you'll read is the intermediate heaven. Jesus said to the thief on the cross when, the, when he asked him, please think of me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. He's talking there about the present heaven or the intermediate heaven. Another term that's used in scripture to describe this temporary or present heaven is the term Abraham's bosom. So this is a temporary heaven. This is the place that believers go when they die. And it's a great place. It's a place where there's no more pain there's no suffering. There's abundance of joy and love. But this isn't the capital H heaven that the majority of Scripture talks about. The second heaven, the capital H heaven, is, is one in which um, believers go after the resurrection. And this is the one in which they go and, and there will be, um, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Which leads to the second, the second misconception about heaven is that heaven, heaven will be a real physical place a real other misconceptions we carry around is that heaven is this otherworldly kind of experience like we're totally disconnected it's totally different than anything that we experience here on this life we, we kind of picture like these like i said a minute ago these disembodied spirits that just kind of float around and they play harps all day long and and maybe like clarence from the movie it's a wonderful life they just we spend all of our time trying to earn our wings like, like that's really what's going on. Uh, maybe it's, it's something else within um, our mind frame. Like we think that there's not going to be anything physical, no buildings, no structure, no furniture allowed there. Because, of course, as we know, in heaven, there's only white because only white is allowed in heaven, right? There's only white robes that people are able to wear. And, and these are all misconceptions, all misconceptions that we see because there will be Beauty. We'll look at that more more um, further as we as we go along. But another idea there is that we think there might be mega fog machines because you see them every time there's this picture of heaven. There's just like this foof from the ground, and you never see people's feet. So it's one of those one of those situations where there must not be floors in heaven. And so there's all of these worldly betrayals of heaven that really just they steer us the wrong direction. And frankly, it leads to this last one. And this last one is a big misconception and one that honestly I had to repent of as I started to study heaven is that heaven will be the opposite of boring. A lot of times when people think about heaven, they have these misconceptions and these pictures that it is going to be this boring place. And I just want to say, um, as a pastor, I enjoy I enjoy this time together as a church. It's imperative for our faith. That's why we're called to come together as church. Um, but the idea that heaven is going to be like an eternal church service, an ongoing church service, would scare the life out of me. And I'm really glad that that's not the case. I'm glad it's not this eternal church service like we know it now. It is going to be so much more than that. Um, I enjoy life with you. I enjoy life outside these walls um, with you hanging out around 
barbecues and doing activities and things that we enjoy. There is going to be real life taking place in heaven, but life that is not tainted and corrupted by the fall. That every relationship that we have, every relationship will be a pure relationship, and it will be this ongoing ability. See, we're called, and Jesus says that we're to love God with everything. Two main things, we're to love God with everything in us, right? And love others of ourselves. Those, those are things that in heaven, those don't go away. We never stop learning and loving and growing the Lord and one another. So imagine all relationships, and you think about your own life, and you think, um, boy, the idea of being internally stuck with these people is just scary. It's not like that. It's not like that because... Heaven is one in which relationships are not tainted by the fall. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, look, at, look at Corinthians 2.9. We have this idea that maybe heaven's boring. Well, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those in whom love him. We're going to see through this series just how inconceivable, incomprehensible heaven is. And we were to take uh, our greatest vacation, our greatest experiences on this li- in, this, in this earth, in this life, and multiply those by whatever. And it will not scratch the surface of what God has prepared for us in eternity, in our eternal home. So, why do a series on heaven? Number three, simply put, this is the Maybe one of the most important ones we're commanded to. Simply put, we're commanded to. We're commanded to think about heaven. It's not just a good suggestion or a nice idea. We are commanded in the scriptures to think. When we don't think on heaven, when we don't meditate upon heaven, when we don't look to the scriptures and let the scriptures inform our views of heaven, it is just like or my wife's garden without water. Our, our faith, our hope, our joy shrivels and dies because there's this little thing in the back of our head that says, well, boy, I, you know, all this is good, but man, that just, what is it all for? What comes at the end? Okay, I, I just, I'm not excited about heaven. And Randy Alcorn, who's one of the authors that, that I'm referring to a lot in this book, he said he, he was researching his book, Heaven, and he went to a pastor and a pastor told him this very thing. Pastor told him that, you know, if, 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 if heaven is what I think it is, then I would rather just cease to exist when I die because it sounds so miserable just to float around in the clouds. And I think a lot of people have that misconception. A lot of them do. Look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. We experienced a picture of that in baptism last week with Calvin, who was baptized after the service. You've been raised with Christ. Set. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, and hopefully this represents us, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you, I, we will also appear with him in glory. And there are two commands here that are very clear. Set your hearts and set your minds. Those are not suggestions. Those are commands from the scriptures. And the great thing about commands, our culture hates the idea of obedience. Our culture hates the idea of commands. 
But the reality is that God's commands are always, just like good parenting, God's commands are always to our benefit. And when we learn to obey him, when we learn to do that in this specific context, when we are setting our minds on him, setting our hearts on him, what we experience by having to obey that is we experience something that's lacking in far too many of our lives. We, we experience a sense of joy, a sense of grace, a sense of peace. If you don't, this is a side note, if you don't have peace in your heart, if you don't have a sense of peace in your heart, it is really worth you taking some time to ask, is there an area of my life where I'm walking in disobedience? Is there an area? Because when we obey God, it is not a burdensome thing. It may not be culturally acceptable, but it is not a burdensome thing because he lays out the way of life for us so that we can enjoy him and others more fully. So if you don't have grace and peace in your heart, maybe you need to ask that question, is there disobedience somewhere that I need to, to, to deal with? Now, um, the idea with a command here is a command, it requires us to willfully choose something. We have to willfully do something. And for most of us, For most of us, our minds and our hearts, I'm preaching to the choir, our minds and our hearts are so easily set, not on heaven, not on the things that are to come. Our minds and our hearts are set on things in this life. The world's pressures, the world's enticements, these are the things that kind of dominate our, our hearts and our minds. And as a result of that, the result of that is we become preoccupied with all of the things that really don't mean anything. All of the things that don't matter much at all. I was, um, a number of years ago, between being a youth pastor and and being here at the church, uh, I, I, I ran my own business. And I had ran the business for a while, and the business was, yeah, it was, it was doing good. Making, making money, and things were fine, but... I was walking around in my yard. It was, it was late. It was after what should be working hours, and I was still cleaning some stuff up. And, and I was finding myself really bitter. Um, and I was bitter because I, I kind of thought, and I bought into this, this misnomer, and I've talked with some of you who are business owners, that when you're a business owner, you, you agree with this, that owning your own business, you have this concept before you own your own business that all of your time is free and it's all yours. And it's not the case at all, just so you know. Um, because when the, the, the clock stops ticking at the business, your mind doesn't. The mind never turns off. And there's always something to do. And the clock is always on. And here I am. I'm just winding around. I'm, I'm, I've got my eyes on myself. I'm frustrated. I'm bitter. And then um, a car pulls up. And I recognize the car. It was a friend, a longtime friend. And he comes out. And he was, he was kind of a mess. And so we, we went inside, sat on the couch, and he told me that his, his, um, he had just lost his wife and his kids because of his drug and alcohol abuse that he had been going through for a lot of times. And I remember sitting there, and he fell on my lap, and he was just, he was getting me wet with his tears. And, and I was, I remember just kind of like, trying to comfort him like you would comfort a a small child. He was just completely broken, completely empty. 
And, and it was funny at that moment. It wasn't funny. At that moment, it was interesting how all of a sudden the things in my world seemed so small. The things in my world seemed so insignificant in light of having to deal with, with, this, with this friend and this experience in which, in which he was going through. And I'll come back to that story in just a moment, but much of the anxiety in our lives, much of the lack of peace, much of the struggle that we face is a result of not having a, a confidence and a clear understanding of our destination in Christ. Our hope, when it comes outside of that, and when we buy into a cultural lie that we can somehow build up a sense of purpose and meaning here on earth, detached from a relationship with a loving God and a sacrificial Savior, that becomes completely bankrupt. And, and, and so as we study heaven, what we're going to find in this process is that there are real, even though heaven is a concept that's out there and one in which we can't fully experience until we fully experience it, there are still radical, practical implications for us today in my life, here and now. Because a clear understanding of, of heaven results in a longing for heaven a desire for it. And this empowers us, me, to make healthy, wise, biblical, God-honoring, Christ-centered decisions about the priorities in my life. It empowers us to keep our eyes off of us and fixed forward. And in the case of my friend, who I can say I met in Bible college, who professed faith and still does in Christ, had he had the proper view of eternity, maybe, just maybe, it would have empowered him. It would have given him the strength to look upward, like Colossians says, rather than to habitually look downward at another drink or another line. If his eyes would have been fixed up and if he would have obeyed this command. And the same is for us. The same is for us. The fourth and final reason why we're studying heaven, and probably the most sobering reason of them all, is this. Simply to avoid a wasted life on earth. To avoid a wasted life on earth. To, to illustrate this last point, I just want to take you to the book of John. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 13 and 14. But as you're turning there, just kind of listen to some context. John um, he, he describes here Jesus spending his last night on earth with his disciples before he's going to ultimately be betrayed and crucified. Now he spent, Jesus has, spent the last three years with his disciples, with these men, preparing them for taking over when he is gone. In John chapter 13, Jesus now has washed the feet of the disciples and they have shared the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the First Communion together. Judas is, is left. He's in route to go portray Jesus. And Jesus is sitting there. He's sitting there with these 11 ordinary men who are going to, and we're experiencing it today, these men who will transform the world. So, what would he say to them? 
If you were Christ in this epic, pivotal apex of human history, what, what would you say? You might think that he would, he would put together some organizational flow chart with one at the top and another at the bottom and, and, and how they were going to work together. Or he would talk about how there's a strategic plan for the best kingdom impact. He would talk about which one would be in charge, maybe. What would you talk about? Would you talk about church and the priorities, what church, what priorities would it have? What would you say if you were Christ in that particular moment in time? Well, what Christ knows is he knows what lies ahead for these guys. He knows they are going to be rejected. He knows they are going to be persecuted. He knows that every one of them, with exception to one, are going to be martyred for their faith. He knows that they're going to take the message of Christ into areas that are completely hostile to the gospel. He knows that it's going to be incredibly hard on their families. And in light of all of those realities, what words would Jesus leave with them? John chapter 14. This is what he says. In light of all of that, he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, my father's house. He's lifting their chins up. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. You also may be where I am. And that passage continues to go and continues to get rich. But this is what he does. After all of the preparation, he points their hearts and their minds heavenward. He gives them assurance. And so setting our hearts and our minds on heaven, thinking on heaven, it equips us. It guards us. It empowers us to live the life that we now have in such a way that we can face whatever comes. And we have the heavenly perspective to do that. And, and in a day and an age where most people, they max out their credit cards. What if we were to max out our mental and emotional and spiritual energy thinking upon the things which are going to be forever rather than the things in which focus us downward? So, uh, I do have one warning as we go into the study. One warning is this. As you and as I look to heaven, beware. You very well may experience hope. You very well may experience joy and heaven forbid, even peace in your life. You may no longer be preoccupied by the anger, the despair, bitterness, the delusion in that particular place in your heart. You see, God gave us these hearts, and these hearts are designed to do two things, to be in love with him and to be in love with others. That's what he gave us hearts for. And unfortunately, unlike him, we don't have an inexhaustive ability. There's only so much real estate on our hearts. And when our heart's real estate is primarily overtaken by anger, bitterness, despair, 
that tends to dull our outlook on things. And so as we look to heaven, as we look to heaven, I, I challenge you to, to think hard upon heaven, to think hard upon these things, and then that leads to the first application point is this. How can I live life with an eternal perspective? What do I do today? I was being prayed for by Barb. Barb's our prayer warrior. She prays over this building before every service. She comes and prays with the different leaders. She prays over the chairs that you're sitting in. She prays over the Sunday school teachers and the worship area. And as she was, she was praying, she was praying for our congregation that, that we would not be encumbered by the things of this life. She didn't obviously know my sermon, but she had this specifically in mind, and she prayed for an eternal perspective. And we think for a moment about the most difficult relationship that we find ourselves in. Just We all have them. We all have that one relationship where it's the most annoying relationship. Think how a proper, saturated heart and mind on the, on the place and the purposes of heaven, how that might equip you, not them, how that might equip you to love that person despite how you feel about them on this earth. If you have this eternal perspective. You can think about that in relationship to your finances. The despair that comes as we look at the finances. Or some, some with the, the pain of too much finances. Some of us say, well, I'd like to have that pain. But it is a pain for those that have to deal with that. What is that going to look like for you? And I want to just encourage you, don't pass this up. How can I live life with an eternal perspective? And how can I do, oh, that's what Barb prayed. She prayed that, that we would, as a church, um, be able to see the little things. Because it's oftentimes the little decisions in life. It's the little things in life that seem to make the greatest impact. It's not those big things. It's just those little moments of obedience day in and day out that make the biggest difference. So for that point of application, um, we'll, we'll just kind of, while we comfortably sit in the air conditioning, we're going to kind of close the, the curtain on the, the heaven's introduction and open the curtain for just a moment on, on the building. Uh, this isn't your time to leave. I'm going to give you a minute. I'll give you a chance to leave in a minute. But this is something I want the whole church to hear. So, so we'll kind of talk, talk about this for just a moment. But, but um, we are, Lord willing, going to build a church over on the church property. We want it to be sooner than later. We're still questioning some of what God's timing is in this. And, and so one of the questions is, why would we go about doing this? Why would we go about building a church building? And, and I just want to, if you are a regular attender here, I want to let you know that there is a sign that is outside of our door that you probably have never seen. It's a sign that's it's right outside the door. And it's a sign that you have not seen. And this is what the sign says. Not that. This is what the sign says. Sorry, no vacancy. It's a sign that's hanging right outside the door. You might think, well, what do you mean? What, what do you, it, there's no sign out there. Well, of course not. If you're a regular attender and you're comfortable being here and this is your church, you don't see this sign. This sign doesn't really mean much to us. Um, but what it says to anybody that comes into our door, they walk into this room. We have 228 chairs in this room right now, and we have 
our average attendance is 176 people, so that would mean that the percentage of those chairs that is filled is above 80 to 85%. And every statistic says that once a room fills up to that size, then we are saying this to the people that don't come here on a regular basis. Do you know that we've had 350 visitors here to the church in the last year? New, new first-time visitors um, in the last year. Well, why aren't they here? Because there's no room in the inn. That's why. And so we talk about a new church, and we really, we've had a lot of limitations. We thought there's, we can't build out. Um, and we can't build out for one, many reasons. One is that we can't add on to this building because we don't have the space. Um, the other reason is it's all out of code, and it'll cost $100,000 to bring it up to code before we can do anything to it. Another reason is the entire parking lot is a septic tank, and we're grandfathered into that. So if your car sinks on a rainy day, that's why. Um, we can't do anything about that septic tank out there. And as soon as we mess with it, then we've got a mess. Um, not just physically, but with the health, the health department and all of those things. Uh, and so we, we, have, we have parking. There's parking issues. Uh, there, there's, there's many other things. There's many other things. But this is the main one. The main one is that there's no space. And so we, have a, we really have two options. One option is to go to two services I think I'm the only one that's open to that option. No one else is. And I've had to wrestle with the Lord to say, okay, well, maybe, maybe I need to not push. Uh, but nobody else is open to that option. So we've talked about maybe bringing a portable in so that we can, we can do some things with space and move kids into the portable and project, a, project an image to the chapel and we can, we can immediately get 100 more seats just like that. Um, that, if anything, that would be a short-term measure. So Option one, go to two services. Option two is to, to build on the property in which God has blessed us with through the, the, the blood, sweat, and tears of the long-term members of our church. Twelve acres, it's free and clear right over there. So, so we're, that's what we're looking at doing. And, and I just want to say, as I'm going to just lay out this roadmap for you real quick, but as we talk about this future church, we are committed for, we're committed to, to a couple things. And one of the things that we're most committed to is that we are committed to the church. We're committed to the kingdom of God. We're not committed to a building. It's not about a building. None of this is about a building. It's about a people of God. And it's about freeing up space so that maybe some of those 350 visitors would stick. Because those are the people that you invite because you're taking our mission as a church seriously. You're going out and reaching with the gospel those that are close to you but far from Christ. But they need a place to be. They need a place to be. And we're also committed in this process to unity, that we're not going to squabble about little things like carpet and paint colors and those kinds of things. That those are things that will just take care of themselves. Uh, not that it's going to be an easy process. As a matter of fact, if you stick around for the business meeting, you'll get to hear what the building committee has been going through the last year, really. So with that being said, let me just give you a quick, a quick picture of, if this works, of our roadmap. And here it is. Okay, so I don't know if well you can see that, but this is our building roadmap. If we start back here at the very beginning, uh, it's not going to work. Okay, right here at the very beginning, this is where we began, the early days of Yakult Community Church. You know, this is actually 1958 to 1990. Back in 1958-ish, there was some people down in Battleground. Those people had a heart to reach this community that was only reached by a dirt road 
um, for Christ Jesus. And so they would trolley up here on their old, they bought a van and came up here and grabbed as many people as would come with them and they took them back to church down at Charter Oak Community Church. That's back in 1958, 1960-ish. This right here, you probably can't see it very well, but that is, says the future home of Yakult Evangelical Free Church. Those people right there, Kenna Peterson, who's up with the preschoolers, was three, year, three years old and she was at this service at that point in time. Um, she remembers it perfectly too. So, um, so that's when there was a groundbreaking back in 1960-ish. These dates are all, if you're here then, these dates are within a year or two. Um, and so after that, there was... 25 years later, this is the 25-year anniversary. If you notice, that is Robin Harmon right there. and I, I'm pretty sure that's Robin Harmon. And um, there's the McDaniels. I don't know all of these people. But this is the 25-year anniversary of the church. That's over in the chapel area. Um, there may be more people there. But uh, anyway, okay. So, so in, the, in the late 80s, they realized that they outgrew that chapel and they needed... I'll just say we, I was part, even though I wasn't alive. They needed Sunday school rooms, so they built the upstairs and part of the foyer out there with some of the bathrooms. That's what you see right there. So that's what they did in the late 80s. Um, and then you go to the 90s, you jump forward. Uh, didn't have much pictures, but there were, in, I think it was 94, 95 was when the, the, the bathrooms were modeled out there and that space was enlarged. And then in 1996, they poured the slab for where you're sitting right now and started to build. And that's the building process that, that went on through there. It's kind of fun to see that. I don't know how well you can see these. Uh, and so, so there we go. There's kind of the, the history of the church. And it started with a few people that wanted to reach a few people for Christ. I think it would be super cool for them if they could look back and they could see all of you here. They could see all the kids. They could show up at VBS and see, show up at Awana and see all of these kids because of their heart and desire to reach a few for Christ. And so what we're looking at here, I apologize, you can't see this very well. This is the, the proposed future home of the church. And it is, um, that's the floor plan. I know you can't see it. You can't really see it unless you have a big piece of paper in front of you. It seats not quite twice as many people as we currently have in this building now. A lot of different um, benefits. There's a lot of classrooms. There's room for growth, but it's not such a the mega church that will feel small in it either. So it's got phases and it's got plans. And so we go through a number of other things. There's a few big questions that I'm just going to answer vocally, and then in our business meeting we'll we'll break these down. And the, the first question is this: like, how will this facility help us to accomplish our mission of a mission of reaching people with the gospel of Christ? How will it do that? Well, I kind of described some of those ways in which it'll do this. It's just simply, it'll allow for more space. It'll allow people to come. But it is our desire to reach people for Christ. It's not to build a building. And we as, we as leaders, we believe that God is directing us to build this. And we don't have all the answers to those questions yet. But we're certainly hopeful. This is a kind of our attendance graph. Ten years ago, we were averaging 177 people. Today, we average 176 people. And so that's kind of where we're, where we're at, um, and we're kind of at that point. And the thing about this that all of the church experts will tell you, if you get to a point like we're at right now where you need to do something, if, if you don't step out in faith and do something to accommodate that growth, you will atrophy and you'll go backwards. And that's the, that's our, our, that would be horrible for the gospel. 
We don't want to go backwards. We want to keep reaching people for Christ. And we believe that this building, which is only a tool, will help us to do that. So what's the cost going to be? This is where we're at right now in this process. There's two options for cost. One, uh, you can't, does it come up forward? Okay, so the option one is a turnkey price. It's actually $3.3 million for that facility. It's a turnkey price. It means we don't lift a finger. The building committee, and Michael laid this out for us, but has been working really hard trying to reduce that cost. Many of you in here that are contractors and business owners, you've been contacted by the building committee. If you haven't and you have services that you could provide to the process, we'd like to know that. But we've already, option two is going to be between two and two and a half million dollars. I don't care how you slice it. That's a lot of money to me. It's just a lot of money. Um, however, as Rob Dorr said, who, who's been on our building committee, he said, if, if, if God's calling us to do this, these things are nothing. These things are, these things are minor. They still feel major to me. Um, I, I wish I knew exactly where it was coming from. But that's where that goes. Another major question is, where will that money come from? And I'll just, just answer this simply. Um, a huge portion of it is going to come from us and our stewardship here in this body. It'll come from, it'll come from us. Um, not specifically us, but how the Lord has blessed us. There are other things, large donations, large gifts. There's possibility of, of selling some assets that the church has to earn some of this money. Um, but ultimately, this is where we're at right now. We're like, we, we're just praying into this. We don't know. So if you know anybody that just has $3.3 million sitting around, you can send them our way. Um, but Andy Poole, who, who you'll be hearing from, uh, is, is one that's kind of our capital fundraising consultant slash family member. And, and he said that would be a terrible thing if someone just gave us all the money. Because... Part of this process is us being part of the process and our own stewardship in the process. So, so maybe half of that would be okay. Um, all right, so um, I, I don't want to keep you much more. Some next steps where we're at right now is um, this is today. Um, we are looking, we need to, to virtually, we need to hire an architect and a civil engineer that can take our concept drawings, our design, and put it on the map put it on a, a site plan. That's the next big thing. Um, so we would hope to be somewhere in there in the next few months. And then it would come a capital, it'll come a capital campaign. Um, maybe, maybe sell or develop some of the land that the church owns. And then um, sometime in the future, break ground. And then what after that, we're not we're not 100% sure. We're just seeking the Lord for that. But bottom line, uh, ending here, the bottom line is this. It's simple. What's our goal? Our goal is to reach peaceful people with the gospel, those close to us but are far from Christ. That's our goal. That's at the heart of everything that we're doing, all of the decisions that we're seeking to make. And if God has got a different direction and a different plan, we're going to go with whatever that is. 